0: You're listening to a sermon from Leewood Baptist Church. For more information about us, visit our website at leewoodbaptist.com. Turn with me to 1 John, and we'll start there today. We are actually in the very next to last. Uh, day of our uh, Sunday of our study through the book of First John. We'll be wrapping up First John next week, and then what we'll do is uh, have two weeks going just before Easter. We'll be looking at Matthew chapter five and some of the Beatitudes as we prepare our hearts and celebrating the resurrection. Of Christ. You also notice in the back uh, table there are uh, those books still. We have the book What is the Gospel by Greg Gilbert. If you haven't had an opportunity to read that book, I would encourage you to do so. Also, there is the book Gospel by J.D. Greer. Uh, Those books are there to be a supplement to your own uh, study of God's Word, and hopefully that will uh, benefit you as we begin to continue as a church to. Um, unpack the gospel and its implications on our lives. Throughout the book of 1 John, we have been seeing what an authentic believer in Jesus Christ looks like. What are some evidences of true saving faith in our lives? So John, there was a the, the John, he wrote the Gospel of John for unbelievers. He writes the, the book of 1 John for the church, and in the early church, there was many people asking that question, what does it mean to believe in Jesus? Because false teachers had infiltrated the church, and so John writes 1 John for the church so that we can examine our lives and to ask ourselves the question, do I possess the evidences of true saving faith in Jesus Christ? John wrote that, uh, that a true, authentic Christian is going to feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit over sin, that there's going to be that friction, that conflict in the life of a believer, that yes, we will still sin because we are, still have that sinful nature, but we're going to experience victory over sin, and we're going to ex- ex- experience the conviction of the Holy Spirit over sin. We also saw in First John 1 that an authentic Christian is going to be transparent about their sin. They're not going to live in a way as if they have no sin. And we talked about the spiritual pride that is an evidence of not someone that is a true believer. But a true believer is going to be transparent about their sin and not going to hide their sin. John also gave an evidence of a true, authentic Christian is obedient to God. We'll talk a little bit more about that. But a natural byproduct of following God is going to be obedience to God. We saw that in an authentic Christian believer is in a love relationship with Christ, and within that love relationship, that they are going to become more like Jesus Christ. That is the process and uh, change of sanctification in the life of a believer. Sanctification is that slow, steady progression in the life of someone that knows Christ becoming more like Jesus. That yes, as a believer, we're still going to sin, but there ought to be a progression of becoming more like Jesus. Then we saw that an authentic Christian is going to love their brother and sister in Christ, that they're going to love the church because we're in the same standing. We saw that a true, authentic believer does not love the world, not, lo- not the world of the globe. We're called to love the world, to spread the gospel to all nations, but we don't love and embrace the worldly system that is against God or the things of the world. In the week, couple weeks ago, we talked about that we can have, we can know. We talked about the difference between assurance versus doubt. That God wants us to be assured of our salvation. Doubt is not there, and so He's given us the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is in the life of the believer to help us discern spiritual truth. We talked about, we discern spiritual truth through the Holy Spirit, and then what the Holy Spirit is telling us, making sure that is in alignment with Scripture, that the Holy Spirit's not going to tell us to do anything that is in contradiction to the Scripture, because a lot of people have done bad things saying the Holy Spirit told them to do it. We gave kind of an extreme example that the Holy Spirit would never tell us to murder someone. Why? Because the Bible is very clear about murder, and about that people are made in God's image. And so the Holy Spirit would never tell us to do anything that would go contradict the Word of God. And so we, as the the believer, have the Holy Spirit in our lives to give us the ability to discern spiritual truth. We've also seen consistently through 1 John an authentic, true believer, as an individual, that by God's grace and through the work of the Holy Spirit in their life, lives a life that is dying to themselves, that a true, authentic believer is willing to give up their life for the good of another. And yes, that may even be physical death, but that's even death to dying to our own self, our own wants, our own needs, our own desires, and our own preferences for the good of another. So, this morning we're going to really be on the home stretch here of 1 John. We'll be starting in 1 John 5, and we'll wrap up the book of 1 John next week. And so, let's start in verse 1 of chapter 5, and it says this Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father also loves the one born of him. This is how we know that we love God's children, when we love God and obey His commands. For this is what the love for God is, is to keep His commands, and His commands are not burdensome, because everyone who's been born of God conquers the world. This is the victory that has conquered the world, our faith. Now here, John is alluding back to a lot of what he wrote in the Gospel of John. Remember, this is the same writer of the Gospel of John as in, the, as in 1 John. And so let's start breaking this down. He says, everyone who believes that Jesus as is the Christ has been born of God. There's a common phrase throughout Scripture that's talking about the salvation that Jesus offers as being born of God. Some may even say it, born again. So everyone who believes that Jesus Christ has been born of God, what does it mean to be born of God? Well, there was an individual that was a little bit confused about this phraseology as well. A guy named Nicodemus in John chapter 3. uh, Nicodemus in John chapter 3 was a Pharisee, and he came to Jesus about about spiritual questions about what Jesus was teaching. And so I want us to take a look at that conversation. So hold your finger here in 1 John 5, and let's turn over to John chapter 3 as we talk about what does it mean for us to be born of God? What does that phrase mean, to be born of God? So look at that. Turn over to John chapter 3. and look at verse 1. And as we read this, let's ask ourselves the question, what does it mean to be born of God? Here we go. There uh, There was a man from the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to him at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform these signs you do unless God were with him. Jesus replied, truly I tell you, unless someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. How can anyone be born when he is old? Nicodemus asked him. Can he enter his mother's womb a second time and be born? Jesus answered, Truly I tell you, unless someone is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Whatever is born of the flesh is flesh. Whatever is is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I told you that you must be born again. The wind blows where it pleases, and you hear it sound, sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can these things be, asked Nicodemus. Are you a teacher of Israel and don't know these things, Jesus replied? Truly I tell you, we speak what we know and we testify to what we have seen. But you do not accept our testimony. If I have told you about earthly things and you don't believe, how will you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ascended to heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses Lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in Him may have eternal life. For God loved the world in this way. He gave His one and only Son, that everyone who believes in Him will not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. Anyone who believes in him is not condemned, but anyone who does not believe is already condemned because he has not believed in the name of the one and only Son of God. So Jesus breaks down this spiritual reality of having a relationship with God as being born again, or we could phrase this as being made alive again, In Ephesians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul describes every one of us as as the human race as we are dead in our trespasses and sins. We are dead, and so we are in need of regeneration, of resurrection. We could call this regeneration, this spiritual resurrection, we call it born again, We can describe it as a few different realities. Just as a baby is born into the world and that new life is started, that new physical life, we need to be born of God. We need to have a brand new spiritual start. And that brand new spiritual start does not happen by being a good person. That does not happen by giving a lot of money to charity, that brand new spiritual start is not just being a good person and, and, and piecing together the willpower to be, for being good. No, we are born of God. We are born again. We are regenerated. We are resurrected. We have this brand new spiritual start by belief in Jesus. So turn back over to 1 John chapter 5. So we see this reality that every one of us need to have this brand new spiritual start, this restart button. So John says, how can we be born of God? How can we be made brand new? Like many of us, I hope you've had the privilege of holding a brand new baby. All right, they smell good, not for long, but they smell good. There's that brand new baby smell because it's a new creation, a new child is born into the world. So how, how can we be born of God? How can we have this, just this new start, this fresh spiritual start? John describes it here in 1 John 5. 1. He says, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. What does it mean to believe that Jesus is the Christ? See, there's a lot of different religions that believe a lot of different things about Jesus. In fact, in our world, belief in Jesus, it's pretty common. Even in our own community, if we were to go around and take a a poll, if we were to ask People, what they if they believe in Jesus, I think the overwhelming majority of people, and even our own community and our own culture in our nation, would say yes, I believe in Jesus. But believing in Jesus, just believing maybe in his his, his, extor, his historical existence or believing that he was a good person, isn't good enough. Like it's not the important thing about believing in Jesus is what we believe about Jesus a lot of people that jesus was just a really good guy a really good teacher maybe he was a prophet no we have to believe that jesus is the christ what does it mean that jesus is the christ we're going to see this in just a moment but first it's that he's god that jesus just wasn't a man or he wasn't just a prophet he's god he was god in the flesh also to mean that Jesus is the Christ, that he was perfect. He lived a perfect, holy, blameless life. To believe that Jesus is the Christ is that he, was, he had the ability as God to take all the sins of the world, past, present, and future, onto himself and to die for all of those sins ever committed. To believe that Jesus is the Christ is that he was resurrected from the dead to give brand new spiritual life and to defeat sin and death. All of that, all of that Jesus is, and that's just a small, just scratching the surface of who Jesus is. All that Jesus is, Jesus is the Christ. So John says, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. So to believe that Jesus is the Christ means that we are then remade. We are brand new. We are fresh spiritually. And so really what that belief in Jesus does, there's a radical change in our lives. Our lives should be noticeably different post-salvation than before salvation. There should be a difference, a marked difference, because we've been made a brand new. The Apostle Paul said that we are a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, all things are new. All things are fresh because of the work of Christ in our lives. Now, this is a lot to believe. This is a lot to believe. For, for many of us, it will take a lifetime to grow in this belief that Jesus is the Christ and that, we're, that we can be born of him. That takes faith. And it says, verse 4, look at it again. He says, Everyone who has been born of God. So if you believe that Jesus is the Christ, you've been born of God. It says that we have conquered the world. And he says, this is the victory that has conquered the world. Our faith. Now, every one of us, we like a winner. Now, we're in the best time of year. This is better than Christmas. It's March Madness. Like, for the last few days, none of us, if, you, if you're a basketball fan, you have not been productive. They say production in the United States culture plummets during March Madness. Why? Because we all gotta like to check our brackets, and we, get to, uh, we like to watch our team if they win or they lose, and we like to cheer for a winner, right? What happens for teams that win a lot? We call them bandwagon fans, right? Like When I was in elementary, everyone was a Chicago Bulls fan. Why? Because Michael Jordan, we loved a winner. I remember in the 90s, it seemed like everyone was a Dallas Cowboys fan. We have so many people that aren't even from New England that are Patriots fans. Why? Because everyone wants to cheer for a winner. Everyone wants to be a part of a winner. We want to identify as a winner. Now, we as believers in Jesus Christ, we've received something so much better than any victory our sports teams can give us, or any victory we can have experienced in our career, or any success we can have in our families. We have experienced victory that conquered the world. But here's how sometimes we live as believers in Jesus Christ. We, we live like losers, all right, now I'm not talking about like weird, like you know you're in high school and you labeled someone a loser. That's not what I'm talking about. But sometimes we as Christians, if we're not careful, we can have this defeatist attitude. We can have this attitude. Oh, what is the world coming to? The world is. Have you ever heard Christians say that the world is falling apart around me? Oh, what is this culture going go, going to? Oh, this is terrible. This is bad. No, we as Christians, we win. We've already won. Not because of anything we've done, but because of what Jesus has done. So we don't have to live in this defensive state where we're backpedaling. No, we're on the offensive. Our victory has been purchased for us. Our victory through Christ, our victory has conquered the world. Hold your finger here in 1 John 5. Turn over to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8 tells us why we've conquered Why we can live as as those who have won. So look at Romans chapter 8, and it says this, verse 37. No, in all these things we are what? More than conquerors through Him, through Christ who loved us. He goes on to say, verse 38, For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Our salvation is guaranteed because of Jesus And that takes a lot to believe, but as we believe in Jesus, that faith in Jesus, John says here in in 1 John 5 that this is the victory that has conquered the world, our faith. The world does not affect us. Satan does not affect us. It is the gospel that guarantees and certifies our salvation. Let's keep going. Look at verse 5 as we continue on talking about this victory we have in Christ. And we're going to see it's not really anything we've done. Verse 5 of 1 John 5 says this, Who is the one who conquers the world but the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Jesus Christ. He is the one that came by water and blood, not by water only, but by water and by blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit, the water, and the blood. And these three are in agreement. If we accept human testimony, God's testimony is greater, because it is God's testimony that He has given about His Son. The one who believes the Son of God has this testimony within himself. The one who does not believe God has made him a liar. Because he has not believed in the testimony God has given about his Son. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life. And this life is in his Son. The one who has the Son has life. The one who does not have the Son of God does not have life. I've written these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. So let's break this down. There's a lot to digest here. And like I said last week, there is just not enough time for us to digest this together to this morning. So you're going to need to go back through this, these verses, but we'll do the best we can during this time. And he says, who's the one who conquers the world? It's almost like a rhetorical, rhetorical question John gives us. Who is the one that conquers the world but the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? No! We're not the one that conquers the world. There's nothing we can to conquer the world. There's nothing we can to purchase our salvation. Who is it? Verse 6, and it's like this big, bold, and bold print, Jesus Christ... Jesus Christ, he's the one who came by water and by blood. Now, this next section is an often debated uh, passage of scripture. There's good people on both sides of this thought and these ideas and interpretations. So wherever you fall, it doesn't really matter. But let me just, just explain to you some of the thoughts that are given on this. John Stott, a great commentator. That name doesn't mean anything to you, but I'm going to drop it anyway. John Stott, a great commentator. This is what he says about this passage. He says, Most commentators believe John's reference to the water and the blood is a reference to the historical facts of Jesus' baptism and death. This understanding assumes that John is refuting the heretics in that day who said the Spirit of Christ descended upon Jesus at his baptism... And left just before his death. By asserting Jesus came by water and blood, in verse 6, John would thus be saying Jesus remained the God man even in his death and thus had true incarnation. All right, so there's one side of it. Stock goes on to say, a second interpretation says the blood and water referred to the wound in Jesus' side that confirmed the reality of his death and resurrection. This understanding has the advantage of referring to the events described in John's gospel and by stating that the Spirit testifies with this wound. John demonstrates demonstrates believers must confess the death of a truly incarnate Savior. And then Stott goes on to say this. You're like, well, I don't know where I fit in these two interpretations. That's okay, because it goes on to say, whichever interpretation is adopted... It is clear in these verses that John the writer defends the incarnation. To teach that the Spirit of Christ left at his death without the incarnation would not lay claim to the Orthodoxy in John's day because the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, testifies to the incarnation. Today, those who claim to be Christian. But deny Jesus is truly God and truly man, likewise deny the Savior. So the point is not where do we stand on this teaching? The point is do we truly believe that Jesus Christ was the incarnate Savior? Was he God in the flesh? And then John goes on to say the one who believes in the Son of God has this testimony in himself. Who is that testimony in themselves? Is it you and me? No, we're not capable of holding that testimony. Testimony is really important in like the court of law, eyewitness accounts. But we're not the testimony. Who's giving that testimony? Who's the one telling us this is true about Jesus? Who is going to confirm this truth in the life of the believer? It's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit the truth, the one that helps us discern truth, as we talked about a couple weeks ago. So God has given us that salvation, has given us a very valuable and precious gift, and that's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is in our lives to help us discern spiritual truth, To help us know what is true. And so we have God living in us as the believer, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth that confirms this spiritual reality. Now, as we've been going through 1 John the last two to three months, it is possible that you've begun to ask yourself Am I really a believer? Do I truly believe in Jesus Christ? I hope you've asked that question. I hope have we seen these evidences of true saving faith that we've begun to see those in our lives, not because of what we've done, but the work of the Holy Spirit that produces these evidences of true saving faith. But it would be logical, it would be rational for us to ask ourselves, am I truly a believer in Jesus Christ? Now, the reality is, I can't answer that question for you. The only one that can answer that question is the Holy Spirit within you. So my answer to you would be, what is the Holy Spirit telling you? As we've walked through this book, as we've examined the evidences of true saving faith in Jesus Christ, what is the Holy Spirit telling you? It may be the Holy Spirit has, as we've walked through these passages and we've studied them together, that the Holy Spirit has confirmed, yes, I'm a believer in Jesus Christ. Or maybe the Holy Spirit is saying, no, I haven't truly believed that. I might believe in Jesus, but it hasn't changed my life. But here's the reality. God has not given us the Holy Spirit to cause confusion. In fact, the Holy Spirit has been given us to provide clarity on our relationship with God. Because look at verse 13. Again, this is not to create doubt, but assurance. It says verse 13... I, that's John talking, I have written these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may, what? Know that you have eternal life. See, every one of us here, we need life. We need it become new we need eternal life but we need life here on this earth jesus even told his disciples in john 10 verse 10 he said i came that they may have life and have it abundantly that we may experience life as never before not just here on earth but in in heaven with eternal life that we can live forever with him And so as we wrestle with these realities and these evidences that we've talked about, we can know, we don't have to be confused about where we stand with God. We don't have to go to the point of our death or when Christ returns, and we don't have to have this wonder and this doubt and this confusion. No, we can know that we have eternal life. So how can we know that we have eternal life? Listen to the Holy Spirit. What is the Holy Spirit telling us that, so that we may know that we have eternal life? Because everyone, as it said in verse 1, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. Pray with me. God, we thank you that you have given us the Holy Spirit, that you have given us the Holy Spirit to provide clarity in our lives. And so God, as we evaluate our lives, we pray you would cause us to lean into your Spirit. Holy Spirit, give us understanding and clarity so that we can know that we have eternal life, that we can have that confidence in what you've done for us. And it's Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you're in the Kansas City area, we'd love to have you be our guest. We're located at 8200 State Line Road in Leawood, Kansas. Worship services are on Sunday mornings at 1030. To learn more about us, visit our website at leewoodbaptist.com.